what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. Your co-host's name, which is me, is Chris. See, I didn't even have to say it. I just kind of That's right. motioned just in your direction. You picked up on it right away. That's great. This is teamwork, people. Right. This is how this works after many, many years of recording this podcast. And uh, this is our film-related podcast here on the Mesh Network. We get together a couple times a month on average, talk about a couple recent films that we've seen that are ones out in the movie theaters or you can find online. We also hit a little bit of movie news, uh, some things of interest, maybe some new trailers we've seen, maybe some interesting projects we're hearing about. And then we close out each episode by each of us giving a recommendation of a film that we either caught back up with recently or just remember that we think is worth checking out. Maybe one that uh, flew under the radar for a lot of you out in the audience. And a good, a good suggestion going into the weekend, something to, to watch if you're looking for something to fill your TV screen with. So that's our show, Foot Candle Films. That's what we'll do for the next little bit. And uh, we actually have two main films to review on today's show. Chris, I think I've said before that I've been excited on different episodes. Like, I really look forward to when I know we're going to talk about certain films. Today's episode, I'm I'm terribly excited. This is the four-hour extravaganza where <laughs> I might, talk about the newest Alien. Movie, right? It might be because there's two films that both very different, both somewhat similar. You know, there's some some parallels between them. And I'm fascinated to talk to you about both of these two films. First, we're going to discuss the latest Alien movie by Mr. Ridley Scott, Alien colon Covenant. And then we're going to discuss a film called Raw, which you may not be familiar with that if you're listening to the show. It's not a big, wide-release film, but we're going to talk about it. Um, after we eat some chili and have some big, big meal, then we're going to go into the cannibal film Raw and discuss that and uh, make everybody's stomachs nice and queasy while we do that. So we've got two films to discuss then we'll do our movie news. Then we'll go into our recommendations. Chris, the format work for you? Oh, yeah. We're ready to go? Yes. All right. Well, let's jump right into our first review, which is the latest Alien film, sequel to Prometheus. It is Alien Covenant. You've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing. This crew is made up of couples. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. And everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work, your courage. Chris, I believe it was 2000 and was it 13 when Prometheus came out? That was maybe in that region. Either 12 or 13. Uh, yeah. Four to five years ago. Yeah. Uh, we were graced on the uh, film screen with Prometheus, the latest film from Ridley Scott that was part of the, quote, Alien Saga. Um, it was a prequel to the original Alien movie. So let's just kind of go back in time for a minute. Ridley Scott directs. The first Alien movie, I believe it was 1979 yes. when that came out. 
Uh, it was a very much a kind of heralded as a very uh, kind of new new wave of horror and science fiction blending into and really it was something that a lot of audiences had not seen before at that point right and it's still widely widely regarded as one of the best sci-fi films and one of the best horror films ever made followed up a few years ago not by ridley scott but by mr james cameron doing a sequel called aliens which took it in a little more of a uh action genre not as much horror still sci-fi and you had the army going to try to uh, – uh, you know, a planet where it's being infested by these aliens and, and having to try to take care of business there. After that, it started to kind of taper down some interesting paths. I believe we had a Alien 3, which was um, – David Fincher. David Fincher, one of his first feature films. And mixed reaction. I, I think some people hide, hold it in very high regard. Others, not so much. Even Mr. Fincher kind of has a very sour experience about making that film and doesn't like to talk about it anymore. Then you had Alien Resurrection, the fourth one. That All I remember about that is it had Winona Ryder in it. Yep. And I don't remember much more beyond that. Done by the same guys who did Amelie and stuff. So it was very like right. – had weird visuals and very bright colors. Film. and Yeah. yeah we're not even going to talk about the <laughs> Aliens versus Predators. I don't count those movies. No. Okay. But a few years ago, Ridley Scott came back and said, hey, I'm making a film. It's called Prometheus, and it is a prequel that will eventually lead into the alien universe. But it is going to take a little bit of a different direction. You are on record as having, I believe, a five-star rating for Prometheus. Yes. On Letterboxd. Yes. I watched it again recently, and I bumped my three-star up to a a three-and-a-half because I did start to find some more things I liked about it. But I want to take you – I'm going to do a little bit of acting here for a minute because I'm going to lead in. I really want to get your impression of this film because I'm excited to know how you feel about it because I know you're a big Alien Saga fan and you really liked Prometheus. Yes. So here's what I'm imagining Sir Ridley Scott because he is a knighted, I believe, right. individual. Right, yeah, I think he is, yeah. Sir Ridley Scott going to meet with the studio executives to pitch this new movie. Okay, so I'm going to kind of differentiate the voices a little bit. So Ridley Scott's going to have a little bit of a deeper, more elegant voice. And then the studio. I, like, I like where this is going. The studios are going to be a little more high-pitched, uh, nasally voice or something. I don't know. Okay. All right. Hello, gentlemen. How are you today? I'd like to talk to you about the new film I'd like to make, the next film in the Prometheus saga. They're like, oh, do you mean the Alien saga? No, I'm really talking about the Prometheus saga. It'll eventually lead into Aliens. But right now, I really want to focus on the story I started in Prometheus. They're like, hmm, okay, well, tell us a little bit more about this. He's like, well, we're going to follow what happened in Prometheus, which was, you know, we, we left Dr. Shaw and we left David and they were going off to explore to try to find the planet where the engineers were from that they felt like were the people that maybe created humankind and they wanted some answers for us all. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But when do the aliens come in? It's like, well, I'm not really thinking about having that many of the aliens yet. Maybe at the very end of the film, you start to understand how they come about. So there wouldn't be any aliens in the movie, the whole movie. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll save that for later. This is a much more important story I'm trying to tell. Much bigger, bigger story. Yeah. i tell you what. You can do that as long as you can put some aliens in the movie a lot sooner and quicker. It's like, mm, okay, well, maybe there's a way I could weave some version of aliens in the movie a little earlier. Yeah. And we need to have the big alien, like actually round in the last part of the movie. Like, you know, kind of like the first movie that you did. It needs to be like that hallways and, you know, dark and hallways and all that. 
okay, I, I hadn't really put that in my script, but I can see what I can do with that. And uh, he's like, and I'd like to call the movie Covenant because that would be the name of the ship. Okay, great. So Alien Covenant, that'll be the name of the movie, right? No, I wasn't really planning on putting the word alien in the title either, which was going to be Covenant. Again, we'll get to the aliens later. That sounds great. Alien Covenant, and we're going to have aliens in the beginning. We're going to have alien in the end. It's going to be awesome. We're so excited to be working with you on this film, Mr. Mr. Scott. Uh, okay, fine, whatever. Just where's my paycheck? That's how I'm imagining that story to be. Now, Chris. And... <laughs> mic drop? <laughs> That's a mic drop. <laughs> Hope that wasn't too loud, podcast listeners. So, how on target am I with your reaction to this? Film? I really have nothing to say. Um, Did I summarize it for you just right? Yes, and I can elaborate so that I know you're all dying to hear my voice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel. Um, but you're obviously I, wanting I, what Mister Scott not, had to pitch. Believe it or not, I am not a Hollywood insider. I was not there during the pitch meeting, but. I like Ridley Scott's work. You know, I've mentioned on past episodes how I've been reviewing his body of work this year. Mm -hmm. I've fallen a little bit behind, but I've gone back and reviewed lots of his different films, Matchstick Men and, you know, comedies that I'd never heard of and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. You know, he's a really good director. Prometheus is one of my favorite films of his. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've talked before about expectations. And the only thing in my mind that I can come up with was it was kind of an opposite George Lucas thing where Mm. he went to the studios and said, like you're saying, that whole setup, this is the movie I want to make. They let him do it with Prometheus, but a lot of people didn't like it. They didn't make as much money as they wanted to. So with this, they're like, oh, we'll let you do a sequel, but we're going to dictate a lot of stuff. Yes. That's the only reason in my mind, and I'm I'm justifying, but that's why this movie is is not good. I I didn't like it. Um, And I didn't like it because, to me, it just dropped the ball on all that was good. With one exception, Mm -hmm. it dropped the ball with all that was good about Prometheus. And Prometheus, a lot of people went into Prometheus wanting an alien movie. And I was one of those people because, like you said, I like the original franchise. But when it went off the path and was something completely different with all this like weird mythology and engineers and who created man and you know all this kind of stuff and you had a little bit of the android theme which was in some mm-hmm. of the original movies or actually it was in all the original movies but I don't know it was just kind of like a new spin this to me felt nothing like okay we'll just give the people what we want we'll just you know throw the alien in there and slowly one by one we'll do the horror trope where for some reason somebody goes out on their own and that's the next person the alien kills. everybody goes then, out on their own and then guess what happens the next person the alien kills them. and it's just so disappointing because there was so much more that this franchise had to offer i mean so many with prometheus yeah there were there was a cast of characters and Maybe you didn't become invested in all of them, but at least you kind of knew a little bit about them. You kind of got to know them. With this movie, there's so many people, you never even really hear their names, and then they start dropping off one by one. It's like the Star Trek red shirts. You know, it's just so disappointing. And this movie had that in it because Ridley Scott let his son, which I forget his name, ends in Scott, but he let him direct the Last Supper thing, which I talked about on oh, the right. previous episode, yeah. where it was like a basically like a 10 minute scene, maybe that was kind of setting up this movie. And you see all the characters that are on board Covenant before they go into hypersleep. 
Mm-hmm. And you meet the different characters, you understand the relationships. And that got me so excited for Covenant because I'd seen the Covenant trailer and I was like, oh man, it looks like they're just making it a horror movie again. Not a science fiction movie, or it just yeah. happens to be with aliens. But other space. than that, it's a horror movie. But that Last Supper thing made me think, no, I think it's going to be okay because they are caring about character development. Mm-hmm. They are doing something with this. Yeah. And nope. They just, they just, you know, completely dropped the ball and was so disappointed. Now, well, should I give a little background on like, should, I, should we summarize the plot of the film just for a second? Sure. But in case you haven't heard about sure. this film, I'm going to try sure. to be relatively spoiler free. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I, I want to get into some things, some comments I've got on it as well to bounce off of what you're saying, but just to kind of give everybody a little bit of a framework of this film, you know, it, it is a... You have a crew on board the ship Covenant, uh, and it's a colony ship. Their their mission is they're trying to go out and start a new colony on a planet that they've identified. They spent years researching this planet where they're going to go, and basically it's couples. Which right away, one big issue I have with the film is if you did not see The Last Supper, you wouldn't know squat about anything to deal Nope. the fact that all the crew are married. They're right. all couples. Right. And then they've got about 2,000 people. I think, I think Covenant, the, maybe you, you know that, um, what's his name? The guy that from uh, Eastbound and Down. Danny McBride. <laughs> yeah, Danny McBride, Tennessee. Tennessee. You know, you get the idea that he is married because they kind of. Well, they talk. I mean, all of them say something about a spouse or wife. But, but you don't understand really, that that's the conceit of the film is right. that this crew is made up of couples and they're they're going to colonize a new planet. It's totally glossed over. And but if you watch the Last Supper clip, which was not in the film, no. it was a separate piece. Not even, not even a segment or some stuff. No, no there's nothing some backstory, which was really odd. I thought. Anyway, so they they uh, are off on their mission to do to colonize a planet. They get a signal from another planet on route, and for reasons that are explained early in the film, they decide to take a chance and actually go try out this other planet. And then they encounter some characters that we may have seen in previous films before. And, uh, and there's aliens and there's question marks and there's stuff that goes on from there that I'm not going to get into, but that's basically the film. And, you know, as Chris is talking about, yes, it does turn into a, a slasher horror alien film, uh, for a good part of the movie. So here's the thing, Chris, even though I'm really frustrated with the way this film came together, right? And I totally saw it as two parts of a film kind of getting jammed together with, to me, the most interesting part of the film getting the much, much shorter shift in the process. I still came out enjoying this film. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Well, I, because I think... I think you're not alone. I think a lot of people... I went into this film with, A, low expectations. B, I did not like Prometheus much when I saw it in the movie theater the first time. So I was actually kind of happy to think that maybe I would enjoy this more than Prometheus. And I came out of the theater a little more positive about this film than I did when I came out of Prometheus. However, Prometheus grew on me after a second viewing when I had time to really put my expectations aside and watch it for the movie it was. My thing is, I'm sure if I went back and watched some of the original Alien movies and all, and after seeing Prometheus again, and I were to watch this movie again, it would drop in quality for me. I can go ahead and tell you that. It's one of those where I came out at least feeling like I had some level of entertainment for two hours. Although my list of dislikes about the film are actually longer than my likes of my list of likes. Mm-hmm. So I have more qua- qua- I have more issues with this film 
even though I can look at it and say I generally had a decent time watching it. But I'm also not as big an Alien fan as you are, well, and I didn't hold a Prometheus in the same and esteem. It, and it goes to something where I just like, yeah, you know, obviously I'm a fan of sequels because I like the Star Wars movies, not, but I like something that's different. Yeah. And Prometheus was different, and it's it spoiled me. I admit it spoiled me because it was a sequel of you know it was basically the fifth Alien movie, even though yeah. it's a prequel. But it's a you know fifth time they've returned mm-hmm. to this story. But it was totally different. It was mind blowing. It was so good, and it rewards repeat viewings because you kind of can't get it all in the first mm-hmm. thing. Nice and that's what good movies to me. That's what makes something a five star is immediately after it's over, I don't just say, oh, I had a good time. I'm like, wait, I need to see that again because I'm not sure I caught everything. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Something like Inception was the same type thing where I watched that for the first time and I liked it, but I wanted to go back and find out how it all works. And Inception did have holes. Maybe some things don't really make sense. Some things in Prometheus don't really make sense, but the fact that I was so entertained that it didn't bother me, yeah. you know, that's, that's what was worthwhile. And Alien Covenant, I can't say... Not only was it, it was too much like a typical hacker, you know, slasher movie, horror movie. But the other thing was, I wasn't entertained because it was so predictable and I was so bored. No, I was so bored. And that's the thing, like, I couldn't, when the credits rolled, I was like, well, yeah, basically, after we, after we get down on the planet and they encounter David... Then from that point on, I was like, okay, game over. I was kind of wondering how they were going to, you know, but then once yeah. they meet David and then from that point forward, which is like 20 minutes in, well, the rest of it is just, you, I'm not sure how they're going to hit certain notes, but I know they're going to hit those notes. I will say this. So I, just I, I saw the film kind of kind of in three parts. You have this opening part, which is all about this new crew mm-hmm. and the dangers they run into and the decisions they have to make about where they're going to go, what planet they're going to land on, blah, blah, blah. I thought the film was okay at this point. I'm like, all right, it's feeling a little derivative of other alien, older alien films, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm following it. Um, I'm, I'm with the film. The middle, the middle portion on the planet with David, which we're okay saying David is a, you know, it's pretty much heavily billed that Michael Fassbender plays a double role in this film. Right. He plays an android that's on this new crew, and he plays David, the android we met in Prometheus. Right. So we do find David. I'm not going to talk any more about what else we find there, but David is is a key player. I will say I was loving the dynamic once we understood what Davis's, David's purpose was and what he was doing there. And the dynamics he had with the rest, especially with the other Android version of himself. Walter. With Walter. I really liked all that. Actually, at that point, I was starting to think to myself, okay, this is interesting. And I, I want more of this. It maybe would but, have been interesting if yeah. it hadn't been so predictable. Well, it was totally predictable. No, I don't, I don't give you that. I don't, I don't blame you that. I'm just saying I liked watching it evolve. Hmm. But then once they got to a certain point, it's all back to Alien slasher movie. Right. And... They tried to end on a surprise twist, which was telegraphed every which way you could imagine with giant beacons and flashlights and everything. And you would have been crazy to not pick up on what they were trying to switch on you at the and, end. And but. I agree mm-hmm. that the non-twist that is telegraphed was very frustrating. That kind of made me just kind of go, ugh, in the theater. However, I've seen this movie only once, but it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen comments online 
and kind of blow back about the non-twist and somebody saying, no, that was Ridley's point is he wanted you to know he was trying to, he was trying to say, and I will say, even though it's a non-twist and everything, but the more I think about that, if that's true, I will say I am interested despite, you know, I've just ragged on this movie and said how much I like it. Here's some positives. First positive I can start with is I am very curious where the next movie is going to go. I'm with you. Because how, even though it's a non-twist, how things are set up for the next movie, which he is on record saying, even before this one came out, that he's going to do another one. Originally, it was supposed to be a trilogy. But apparently, yeah, somebody said now, he's like, I can make as many as, I've got enough storylines in me that I can can make as many as you want. So originally, it was going to be three. You've said you've heard four, and I think he's like, dude, I'll make as many as they want to give me money for. Um, But... I am really curious to see where it goes because of how it ended. And I think I'm it could be go in some very interesting directions, possibly back to some Prometheus territory, which. Good. Well, not seeing as how this movie is not burning the box office up right now. I think it may be a hard <laughs> sell for him to go do the films. He wants to do the way he wants to the do way them. he wants to do them. Yeah. True. Um, I, yeah, I agree. The twist quote twist was not, was so predictable. However, I, I with you. I like where it ends the film. Yeah. And actually, the I will say probably to, some people are saying this is kind of return to a horror alien. No, this was not a scary movie at all. There's nothing scary about it. I didn't think the scariest moment in this film was probably the last scene <laughs> when yeah. someone's going into the car, uh, the sleep mode, and they're having a dialogue with somebody else outside. That to me was the most frightening moment of the film. That's like okay. The past 20 minutes may have bored me to tears with this slasher film, but at least this last 10 minutes is pretty interesting. The final, yeah, the final so. scene and everything, I'll give it. And the way the movie opens, you know, there's David is talking with um, oh, yeah, Mr. Whalen right, and everything. Yeah, no, there's, the- it is, that's the thing about Ridley Scott. I'm disappointed that I feel, I feel like, who knows, he did have to sell out to get this movie made mm-hmm. after Prometheus maybe wasn't as successful as they wanted it to be there were certain things that were kind of copping out in the storyline and in the plot, but overall the bookends to this movie, the opening, the closing and some stuff with David in the middle. I like the stuff in the middle, but yeah, go ahead. was worthwhile, but it was just really disappointing that it, it could have been much better. Well, I could but totally that's what have I seen the movie. Really Scott well, is he knows how to build a movie. I totally could have seen how this movie would have been made without the xenomorphs being involved in the first half of the film. Yeah, totally. This movie, as you said in your pitch. <laughs> this movie totally works as an interesting story. If you have this crew landing on this planet, they encounter David, they find out what David's been up to. Some dangers exist on the planet, which is fine, you know, and there's a story to be told there. I can see where the whole creation of the xenomorph could be a late in the film development that leads you into the next film a little bit more pronounced. But you could totally tell that they just pushed this stuff early just to do it. You know, let, let's have chest bursting. Let's have aliens. Let's have stuff up there as quickly as possible. Right. Cause that's what we want to, we think we'll sell tickets. So that's what it was disappointing. This film was disappointing to me, but I still enjoyed it on the surface and it was able to watch walk out of the theater. And probably because of that last 10 minutes and say, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see the next film after Prometheus. I was not anxious to see the next <sighs> film. Man, that was me. I was not yeah. anxious. Right. This one, this has built some interest back in me, but I will admit that probably on a second viewing, this film will not hold up very well at all. And I can see how Prometheus is a better film than this is overall total package film. 
Um, I, I, I will say a couple other things I did like. Um, Michael well, Fassbender. Yeah, I th- I'll agree. Fassbender. Fassbender was great. Both performances as David and Walter. He. I mean, and, and it's not to say. Don't get me wrong. Catherine Waterston, who plays kind of the pseudo Ripley role in this, I think she. I think she's a great actress. I liked her in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I just didn't think she had a lot to do here. No, and I, I think there are other people. Billy Crudup. I, I like him as well. I think there are other people that. It wasn't their fault. They just weren't given anything to do. Michael Fassbender was given a lot to do, and he, and and he did it. He did a fabulous job. He both roles. So. I love the fact that you, without getting into twist at the end, but you, it's interesting how he can play two different parts that technically look exactly the same. I right. think their haircut was the only thing that was really different. But yet you could still watch them for a few minutes and kind of figure out which one's which just by facial twitches and motions and how they look at you. That that was great. So I, I love the scenes that he, anything that he was in scene wise, both the robots he played. I thought Danny McBride for his dramatic yeah. picture was actually pretty good. Yeah, I did um, too. I mean, he didn't have a huge role, but he played the character Tennessee like you would expect that character to be. And I thought he had a couple really emotional scenes where he's trying to find out the status of his wife, and I thought he pulled it off really well. So I was really kind of happy to see that. So, and I, you know, if I had, to, so we've said Fassbender, we've said the end of the film. If I had to give my other, my, my third mm-hmm. nice thing, cause I have to say at least three nice things, I guess. Uh, I thought the look of the film was great. No, it did look good. You know, it, it was it's, the exception of the, the, the aliens were CGI the entire time. There was no um, practical effects at all. Hmm. And I just thought it took me out of it too many times. I just, it, CGI just gave it a very artificial look sometimes. And that's what was so great about the first alien film is that it was somebody in a mask. It was somebody in a bodysuit. I mean, it just felt real. I just, I feel so like it was all the alien. There was all, never anybody in a suit. Nope. Huh. All CGI. Okay. I read about that afterwards ah. because I thought it's like, oh, it just seemed too CGI to all the time. And yep. Sure I mean, I could was. tell some of it was, yeah. but I didn't know all of it was. That, I, bet I agree. Other than the CGI of the alien being overused, uh, I did think it was a good-looking film. I'll give you that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's all the positives I had. I mean, it was Fassbender. I like the Prometheus parts of the film, <laughs> believe it or not. I like the middle section with the two androids. I like... Uh, Which I can... Yeah, I consider the good parts of this film to be the, the Prometheus, Prometheus part. parts. And you're right, they are. Which I never would have thought I would have said that going into this movie. But you're right. Well, the best parts were the ones that linked directly to Prometheus. So Alien fans, you're listening to this. You've probably already seen the movie. If you haven't... I would recommend maybe going to see or seeking out the last supper clip before seeing this movie. However, mm-hmm. here's a strong warning <laughs> um, because I trust Ridley Scott and because I figured like, Oh, there's no way they can spoil this movie for me. I watched the last supper and it didn't spoil anything, you know, got me excited and it was fine. Um, and it didn't spoil anything about the movie. Maybe it got me too hyped up, but still I'm glad I saw it before. There's another clip that basically has follows David a little bit and kind of acts as a little bit more glue as far as what happened after Prometheus and before this movie gets started. Do not seek that out. Yeah. I, I don't know what it's called, but like it's something to do with David. Like don't seek that out because it, 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 it actually ruined a little bit mm-hmm. for me. Well, so, and, and maybe it wouldn't have been as telegraphed. Did you see that before the movie? 
I don't think I did. Oh, so, okay. See, I think I remember seeing that it was online, but I don't think I watched it. Okay, because I'd be interested if you watched it now. You'd been like, oh, yeah, if yeah, I'd have I, known that going in, then. I had a, a, a safe assumption of what I thought was happening between Prometheus and this sure. movie. And the movie did confirm that. But I don't think my assumption was based on anything other than the characters and what I knew about them. But at least it um, wasn't spelled out to you because you'd seen something. No, prior. I was still, honestly, yeah. when they landed on the planet and they met David and David was taking them to their home. I still didn't know where we were going. Right. I mean, I still didn't know what, what to expect when we got there. Right. And, uh, I, uh, yeah, just, I, I love the concept of the, uh, apocalypse now, uh, who, who is it that Marlon Brando played? Mm -hmm. Uh, captain Kurtz Kurtz, the little shades of that. I think that's what probably really got me excited is I love this idea of, what a character has evolved to and what the actions he's taken while we weren't around hmm. and what he's doing now with his time. I just, I, I was fascinated by that. I really was. Um, unfortunately they surrounded it with too many dumb colonists walking off on their own and you know what was going to happen to them. It <laughs> right. was telegraphed so quickly. Right. But outside of that, the core conceit of what was going on on that planet, I thought was fascinating. And we had one little flashback scene to show what happened a little bit when the, um, David and Shaw showed up on the planet that I thought was good. It's like, that really kind of, okay. Yep. Basically the thing that I'm referring to that it's mm -hmm. out there as not a trailer. That's that scene. Is it really? Yeah. So that kind of ruins. Stuff. So they, you knew that. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Because that was kind of surprising to me, you know, <laughs> yes, I didn't um, seek that out. Okay. I, you know, <laughs> I'm coming out slightly positive on this film only because I can say for two hours, I had a good time watching it. I didn't, Yes, it was predictable. Yes, it was a mixed match of films that should not be going together. Yes, the best parts of the film were the Prometheus-style parts, and the parts where it tried to be a retread of the original Alien, I thought, were not very successful. I overall probably just enjoyed watching the film. I did enjoy the look, the production style, and so on. I, I, kept, I kept on board with this film, but I do have a nice long list of dislikes. That's the best way I could summarize this film right now. So... <laughs> Um, and it sounds like I know you're disappointed. Oh, yeah. you're, you're very disappointed with it. Uh, you had a few positives to pull that you and I shared, but overall you were. Yeah, it wasn't a, it was a complete very, piece of garbage. But yeah. yeah, it was a huge disappointment. And I I will say it does say something that unlike Prometheus, I don't want to immediately watch it again. But I, I do want to revisit it because I feel like maybe if my expectations are lowered, I'll like it a little better. See, that's the thing. I went in with very so, low expectations because I actually did something, Chris, that I – Never liked to do, but I just could not help myself with this. I knew you had seen the film, and I think I came by your office a yeah. few days before I saw it, and I just said, just give me some sort of sign, and your sign was not positive. So no. I'm like, okay, like, no, expectations have now been dropped considerably. <laughs> that probably helped. Probably. If I had not talked to you, I might have come out with a little bit more negative uh, view of it than I, than I did uh, on my own. True. So that is Alien Covenant. Uh, it is still playing, not making tons of money. So again, the question of what Mr. Scott's going to do with future Alien films may be a little bit in question. Uh, but Alien Covenant, I'm saying, hey, if you like sci-fi and you like past Alien films, I think it's worth checking out. Um, but if you were a huge fan of Prometheus and you thought that was like the best movie ever, this is definitely going to be a letdown for you. Fair enough? Fair enough. Okay, good deal. Let's move on to our second film. Uh, after I finished eating my yummy chicken dinner with gravy mm. and a lot of sides, <laughs> after I finished eating, then we will talk about the cannibal movie, Raw. 
So courtesy of IMDb, I'm going to read the plot description Mm -hmm. for Raw. When a young vegetarian undergoes a carnivorous hazing ritual at vet school, an unbidden taste for meat begins to grow in her. Okay? Sounds simple enough. But then as you watch, actually watch the film, themes like college hazing, uh, sexual identity and how that's portrayed in film, vegetarianism, then role of women in films, specifically in the horror genre. This uh, was directed by a female and she also wrote it. So, you know, women in film. So with all that being said, Alan, did this give you enough to chew on or was sorry I couldn't resist the pun or did you just find this nothing more than a gross out movie about cannibals there definitely more was more to it than just a gross out with cannibals I think I like this film Hmm. I think I'm still you know I watched it last night and uh, I will say just just in case you've heard things online about this film or people talking about it and just being a very disgusting hard to watch film this is the first film I can think of ever that, yeah, at the end of the movie, my stomach was queasy. Like, it honestly oh. felt like I needed Pepto-Bismol for a little while. I just did not feel good. There was a time, this is a little uh, behind the scenes, but Alan and I have known each other for a long time. We've been co-workers. I was moving a pair of metal shelves one time, oh my God, yes. and I cut my wrist such that it looked like I was trying to commit suicide, but I wasn't, but the metal shoved into my wrist and I started bleeding and I had to get Alan to take me to the hospital because I needed like stitches or something. Cause it was not going well. Yeah, yeah. And I went to tell Alan, he was like, Whoa. And he's like, I can't look at that. You know, yeah. the whole time I was watching this movie, knowing that we were going to review it, I am actually kind of surprised that you made it through this movie because I kept asking you, I was like, Alan, have you watched it? No, no, I haven't watched it yet. He literally just watched it (laughs) the night before we recorded this thing. And I'm just like, I can't imagine like Alan watching this movie. Cause there are, I mean, you know, there's several things that are just tough to see. (laughs) Yes. Um, Although I will say this, it's not the visuals of what you see. Because I've seen plenty of horror movies that are bloody and gory and, you know, body parts and all this stuff. It's more of just the, I think it's the way that it presents it all. It's It's the slow build of certain scenes. It's the, the tone when, when, when certain things happen, I think. And it's almost like, like I was watching the film and I mean, the first kind of very, very troubling moment happened and it didn't phase me. I'm just like, okay, yeah. All right. Another one. All right, fine. Whatever. Another one. It's more the build after a while. Mm-hmm. Like when I, I didn't get physically sick feeling until the very end scene when there's a discussion between the girl and her father. Really? And it's, it's not because of the visuals of that scene. I think it's just, everything's just kind of Interesting. built to where now here I'm at the end of the film, like, Oh my gosh, my stomach really is like feeling upset now. And mm. I think it's just a build of everything through that hour and a half or hour 40 that I was watching. Um, so I will say, yeah, the rumors are true. It's a pretty, tough watch it's a pretty disgusting watch to watch but it's not a a, it's not a horror cannibal film it is a you know there's a lot of parallels here going on with you know uh coming of age a young woman coming of age sexual desires kind of being personified as a thirst and a hunger for for flesh you know um it's very clear where the, I think the director's trying to go with this and trying to draw the parallels there yeah she's not Uh, subtle no 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 no. (laughs) it's you know there's 
yes, there's moments where the, the, the girl at college is basically being exonerated because a video gets published of her acting almost like an animal mm-hmm. wanting flesh where you could almost say it's like a woman who's drunk and just loses all self-control at a party and is acting like a floozy and just hitting on everybody. It would be the same kind of idea of just, okay, you could see somebody recording this and putting out and embarrassing that girl and just having a huge impact on her development. So there's all these parallels going on and it was really interesting to watch. Yeah. In my introduction, I'd totally forgotten about the whole social media aspect of the video posting. Yeah. There's, there is so much. I mean, I mentioned the hazing thing, vegetarianism, yeah, the like sexual identity, role of women in film, and how they're like, you know, I don't not idolized, but objectified. And yeah. then you talk about social media and all that. Yeah, there's just so much here. And normally, if a director is heavy handed and stuff, it kind of, I don't know, it kind of hits me the wrong way. But I guess because it was using such an unusual vehicle. Mm-hmm. a horror movie with cannibalism yeah. <laughs> to be heavy handed. It was such a unique take and so, so well written mm-hmm. um, as if you can't tell. I really, really liked this movie. <laughs> I liked it too. I, I, I'm probably not at the same point you are at it, but I did like it. I certainly appreciate it. It didn't quite work for me as a total film. Um, oh man, it did for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still I'm still struggling with it a little bit, but I, I definitely came out of it more admirable, more admiring of it than not. That's for sure. But I'll tell you, the lead actress, Garance Morillier, she is amazing. She's great, really good. Yeah, she's just got such an interesting presence on screen. Um, I like yeah, the, very the, very inter- uh, engaging to watch. She's um, good. The cinematography I thought yeah. was really well done. I thought the instances. sister Alex I thought was probably the, the the portrayal of her was a weak link. I didn't think hmm. the actress was very good. Okay, I thought it was a it was much more of a what I would expect to see in a very small budget uh, independent film. Not you know the actress just not being very strong. Okay, and I think that hurt a little bit of the film for me because later in the film Alex became a pretty major character. And where the story was going. So I needed her role. I needed her to be really, really strong. And I just didn't feel it all the time. Hmm. But the sister, the main, the main actress absolutely was wonderful and uh, so good. And I will say the, the ending I really liked. Um, Okay. It was just a, I didn't expect it. It was very well done the way it was done. The reveal. Uh, Yeah. No, I just, they could have ended this film in a much more just kind of down, uh, much more of an independent film mode of just kind of leaving you out there and not really giving anything that brings some things together. But what they did at the end of this film is kind of put a little bit of a package around it and framed the whole film now in a different way. If you go back and watch it and that's where they cut and left you with that. And that was awesome. Well, and what, so yeah, they didn't leave any opening. They kind of put a bow on it. They gave you complete closure, which sometimes for, you know, more adventurous films, I don't like that when they answer all the questions mm. and when they don't leave anything out. But yeah, I really well, you still didn't answer all of the questions. No. There's still things you're wondering about, but, but the way they it ended does cause you, if, you, if you've seen the ending and you go back and watch it again, you probably watch it in a whole different lens with what you know now from what you learned at the end of the film. And just the way that shot was framed, just the two people across from each other and just kind of the, the, the slow reveal. Yeah, I can't say much there, but it was just a – it was a really well-done ending. Um, 
And uh, can you believe that this is her first major film yeah. and that she wrote it? That's just it's pretty great. Amazing. It's pretty great. No, it was a really it was a good film. I will definitely give it that. I'm I'm still having trouble digesting all <laughs> nice. of the film. <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but yes, uh, maybe if I weren't watching the film quite so much with blurred eyes and hands over my eyes at certain points. Maybe I would. Uh, now that I know what to expect, I can go back and watch I it. I can't again imagine. Well, you and I both watched this at home, you know, video on demand. I can't imagine how intense this would have been to see in the theater. Yeah, see, that's the thing is that I heard reports like when it played at Cannes, like a couple of people left and passed out and all. I'd, and I could see that. I, I was that. fine watching it on my laptop. The music in this movie, like yeah, the soundtrack and everything, yeah. is very good. I think the sound would have made a huge impact uh, just to hear it in a big theater. And Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say this. And this is a general statement. I want to see. I could have introduced the film with this, but I couldn't resist making that pun about <laughs> Chew On. But thinking about this film and how much I liked it, I look back over the past couple of years. Um, and interestingly enough, all these movies were released a year before we got to see them in the U.S., yeah. starting with Under the Skin, 2013, but really 2014. So I'm only going to say when you, and I, you know, when it was released in the U.S. So Under the Skin, 2014. Mm-hmm. It Follows, 2015. The Witch, 2016. I feel like Raw is 2017. Well, it was released in 2016, but now it's 2017. Yeah. So I feel like, to me right now, even though I grew up not liking horror movies at all. The only ones I liked were like the alien movies, which are more science fiction, but I wasn't interested in, in horror. I feel like right now horror is the most exciting, interesting genre that is around in filmmaking today, because you look at those films under the skin, it follows the witch. And now with raw, yeah, they do have either gore or, you know, scary elements in them. But there's so much more going on, so yeah. much more to think about. And no other film genre that I can think of is really offering that much new and different and original storytelling. Even yeah. though you would think with horror, it's like, oh, yeah, you just have somebody going around killing people with axes. Yeah. Well, or a very limited like, view of horror. Or a serial and, killer. You know, yeah. it's like the serial a killer Very limited aspect. traditional view of horror film. These are directors that are saying, we can create horror but it's going to mean a lot more and it's going to represent a lot more and it's going to be done in a unique, interesting style. You know, all four of the movies. Yeah. They all, all, all those other movies creeped me out, <laughs> but they were also fascinating to watch, especially under the skin from a visual standpoint, right. just the way it was put together. Um, yeah. And then the witch was a very different take, but also achieved the same result for have me. You, have um, you caught up with it follows? No, I have not. I'd be interested to see. It's on my watch list. But okay. I, uh, so I'm with you. I think I think it's a great time for for non traditional horror films right now. And I can't wait to see. I think uh, the guy who directed The Witch. I think he's doing another um, kind of period type thing. I forget what it is. Yeah, but, it's a it, remake of something, isn't it? Oh, you know what it is? It's like Nosferatu or like yes, the Dracula it. thing. No, it's yeah, see, like the original vampire story. So. so I'm excited to see that. I can't wait to see what, um, let me see if I can totally mispronounce the director's name, Julia. That's easy enough. And then Duc or now, or Duc or now, however yeah. you say mm-hmm. that it's not a French, pronoun- but anyways, I can't wait to see what the director of this movie goes on to do because yeah. this was so, I thought well written and it was, you know, well directed, so accomplished for a first film. Mm-hmm. I am really looking forward to seeing where she goes. I, uh, I'll, I'll say a couple of things I thought were, and it all relates to the filmmaking style. Taking moments 
that I feel like we've seen in other films, even some of the more cannibalistic elements of the film, we've seen. We've seen right. these things in other horror movies. I mean, this, this kind of subject matter is not foreign to any other, uh, other film that's been made. But somehow the way she made or worked these scenes, the visuals she chose, the angles, the timing, the pacing, the music around it, just made some of these things that we've seen in other movies much, much more disturbing and concerning to watch than I think I would have, it would have been under, uh, under lesser hands, you know, as a director. Sure. There's a, a scene where the main character is having a nightmare, uh, I guess, okay. uh, under, under a sheet, like in bed, completely covered in sheets. Oh, I don't I, – I think she's actually being hazed at that point. It's possible. I don't know. Oh, now, I went okay. back and read the uh, – there's an online synopsis, like wiki synopsis I read okay. afterwards, and they're saying it was a nightmare. Really? I think it could have been hazing. I don't know. Regardless – it's just the way it was shot from underneath the covers there. And it was just so claustrophobic and just, it was really cool. So yeah. that was probably my favorite scene of the film, just watching from that standpoint. Um, yeah, it's just some really good things. Uh, on a negative, I don't ever want my kids to go to vet school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife is a vet, and I've been really interested to see what she would think wow. of this film. I, well, she would never get five minutes into it no but uh, well i just even in the first 20 minutes watching how this how the hazing is going on and this particular vet school and just I'm like oh my gosh this yeah. is like i mean i went to a the i went whole, to a college i went to a four-year college and i knew about hazing and other things going on this was insane and uh, the thing is though um i don't know if there was that degree of hazing to where my wife went but there was there was some stuff yeah um yeah just this is the best anti Hazing movie, I think I've ever. I mean, it was so. That was almost as scary to me as. And the thing is, what was so well done about it is the stuff that was done, hazing wise, you're like, oh, yeah, it's not really having that big effect. But that's why, in a way, this movie's heavy handed, but it's not. Because instead of them going over the top hazing, it was the stuff that they were unaware, the unintentional side effects mm-hmm. of what they were doing mm-hmm. to people in this hazing. And that's what ends up <laughs> causing a lot of problems for this girl. Yeah. And yeah, it's just so, so well done. And it makes me scared for like my kids to go off to college or my daughter to go. Yeah, I said, I'm like, don't want her going to vet school for sure. I am not discrediting any no, veterinarian no. school out there. I'm sure. They're all really good. It's just this one in France here. No, I don't want my kids ever go <laughs> this to this one imaginary vet. This school one imaginary vet school in France. To. No, we're not going to that one. So, um, yeah, no, it was a good movie. I know you liked it more than I did, but I still liked it and I definitely admired it. Um, it was just a tough watch for me. You know, you hit it on the head. I'm, 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 a, I'm a little queasy with this stuff. I'm, um, I'm proud of you for making it through it. <laughs> I, know I did. I totally <laughs> Which did. Which I guess I knew and, you would. Uh, but. Yeah. I, I totally did. Um, did you really? I have to know because when I watched it, I had eaten not too long before I started watching it. Did no, you actually give yourself a little bit of a break? I did. I had dinner and then I didn't start the movie until about 10 o'clock at night. Okay. So I'm just like, all right, that's enough time. I had dinner like <laughs> four digested. hours ago. I'm yeah. good. And, uh, but it's still, I mean, honestly, oh. I can't remember a film where I, at the end of the movie is like, Ooh, you know, I need to, my stomach's in like really feels upset. You know, I feel like I could at some point later in the evening get sick. Wow. And it only lasted a few minutes. But I mean, still, I haven't had a movie create a physical reaction like that for me in a really, really long time that I can remember. So, sure. Um, it's a good film. It's just, man, it is a, it is a tough one. It's a very, very tough film. Uh, <laughs> but a lot going on. Very interesting. And again, I think the lead actress, 
the overall tone, style, and the direction of the film were just really, really impressive. So, all right. That's our two reviews. That is Raw, and it is available on Amazon and iTunes right now, so you can see it tonight after dinner. Um, right, right. Why not? <laughs> maybe just give yourself a buffer like I did. Yes. Uh, so that is our two films. Sounds like Alien Covenant. Uh, I'm kind of uh, – it's weird. I'm kind of the, the more moderate guy today on these two reviews. I'm positive on both. I'm not I'm, over the moon on any direction on them. You're really I'm down bipolar. on Alien Covenant, <laughs> and you're really up on Raw. I am yeah. just kind of – Towing the line in the middle, saying, I enjoyed both. I liked Raw better than Alien Covenant, but neither of them I was through the moon with like you were with Raw. So it's, it's good. We got a little mixture of opinions there with that. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's take a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to do our movie news. I got two or three items we'll talk about in the news area, and then we'll move on to our recommendations for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back in just a moment. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I'm Alan. Over here where my finger is pointing is Chris. <laughs> Hello. We just finished reviewing Raw, and we finished reviewing Alien Covenant earlier in the episode. Uh, but now we're going to shift gears in a moment and go into some movie news. These are notes about things that we're hearing, uh, films coming up that we want to talk about. And also we're going to take a, a few moments to talk about uh, the passing of Jonathan Demme, uh, director, producer, writer that you know, both Chris and I have some experience with his films and want to talk a little bit about the impact on that. But before we do, just as a reminder, you are listening to Foot Candle Films here on the mesh.tv. This is a podcast. And what that means is if you're listening to it for the first time or just listening to it on the website, the idea is that if you like a show, it's kind of like a DVR for the internet. It is you can subscribe to a show or a podcast and make sure that every time we put out a new episode, you are getting that download automatically to your device of choice. So in other words, when you open up your phone and you're ready to listen to something on your morning jog, if we've published a new episode and you subscribe to our show, you've got that episode sitting in your phone ready to go, uh, ready ready for your listening pleasure. So we do encourage you, whether you just listen to individual shows or you actually go onto iTunes or Stitcher Radio or there's some other podcast apps that allow you to subscribe to podcasts. Uh, we do recommend, hey, if you enjoy this and you don't mind listening to us talk for an hour or so every a couple times a month, subscribe to the show. You'll get all the new episodes coming forward. Uh, but also on TheMesh.TV, you'll find several other shows that we publish on a regular basis. Uh, they're hosted by other people, not Chris and myself. Uh, but we get into some sports. We get into some other entertainment avenues. We talk about education. We talk about business. A lot of different topics being covered on The Mesh. So we do encourage you to go and listen to other shows on the mesh.tv network. That website is themesh.tv. Okay, Chris, so you've got two news items, I believe, to share with us. I do. I have no idea where you're going with those, so I look forward to hearing what you're going to bring up for us to talk about. So both of my uh, news items are going to be trailer-related, which is odd because you've heard me say in the past, I try to avoid trailers, try not to watch them because they can spoil things about movies. Well, for whatever reason, maybe just bad judgment, I went ahead and watched these trailers, and 
at least for this first one, boy, am I glad I did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Steven Soderbergh. Oh, he quit movies, right? Oh, this August he's got quit unquote. This, this August he has a new one coming out called Logan Lucky. (laughs) Alan, have you seen the trailer? I saw it last night. Man, that it made my week because I think it's just come out recently. I watched that trailer and I actually immediately watched it again. Yeah, it was Um, funny. It was so good. Well, it's it's very, it's very Comb Brothers like. I mean, that's, that's the view I saw of it. I, I see it a very Comb Brothers vibe. Uh, my only reservation is I hope it's not just trying to ape that style. But it being Soderbergh, I think there's going to be something unique to it. The plot is two brothers attempt to pull off a heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. So we've already mentioned the writer-director. Actually, excuse me, not the writer, just the director, Steven Soderbergh. Uh, Rebecca Blunt actually was the writer. But the cast includes Daniel Craig, Adam Driver, Chatting Tatum, Catherine Watterson. Mm-hmm. Um, so just got this great cast. It's a good director. The trailer looks funny. Um, however, this is where I put the big worry. Um, I'm glad I saw the trailer. The only sad thing is it may be getting me overhyped because I've recently seen a film that was supposed to come out in 2015, then it didn't, then it came out in 2016, and um, then you knew why it had been delayed for no so long. No connection. No connection. I no, know which one you're going to talk about. Well, no connection, but there is a connection. Mm, um, okay. Known quantity director. Yeah. Known quantity director. One Nepo- film. Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, that's the one film that director did. Jared Hess. He Jared made Hess. Masterminds. Who did Masterminds have? Well, it had Owen Wilson. It had Kristen Wiig. It had... Uh, Zach Galifianakis. It had Leslie Jones. I mean, I could keep going. Um, has all these people in it. Great cast. The trailer to Masterminds made me laugh, which they showed in theaters back in 2015, and then it never came out. And they started showing it in 2016, and then it barely came out for a week and then went straight to video. Just recently caught up with it, so I can talk bad about it. And man, you, you can tell. You can tell it well, just didn't work. And so... With this movie, I trust Steven Soderbergh more than I trust Jared Hess. However, I am concerned that even though this trailer made my week and it made me really happy, I'm worried it won't be as good as what I think. Jared Hess still had one good film. And other films have been very hit or miss or or more miss. (laughs) Steven Soderbergh makes good films. Even the films that don't work as well are still good films. The cast for this film... Yes. Okay. You had the, the comedy, uh, the, the key comedy people in masterminds. You had Kristen Wiig, you had Owen Wilson, you had, um, uh, Zach, Galifianakis, but you've seen all three of them in really bad movies before. Oh, so it's is, like, they're not, they're, they're not the ones that you can say, Oh, well, if they're in this movie, the movie must be really good. I've seen some horrible Zach Galifianakis movies. I've seen mm. some horrible Kristen Wiig movies. So, the whole mixture of, yeah, you can pick out the funniest parts for a two-minute trailer and show that and get people excited, but doesn't mean the film's going to be good. Steven Soderbergh, I trust him as a director. I'm not the biggest Soderbergh fan, but I can't really think of a movie that was just horrible that he did. Mm-hmm. And Adam Driver, I haven't seen Adam Driver in a really bad movie yet. Have you? I haven't either. Okay. Even Channing I hope Tatum. This, I hope this isn't one. <laughs> Channing Tatum. I mean, I know he started out in some like dance movies and all that, but he's actually turned into an actor who's making some interesting choices. Yeah. You know, Daniel Craig. Okay, we have to talk about Daniel Craig in this trailer. <laughs> Amazing. I incarcerated. <laughs> that right there made for him to be saying it like that with a thick Southern accent and everything. 
that made the trailer. Oh, I was I, like, whoa, that's amazing. If, like, if you if I blurred my eyes and you didn't tell me no. who was in this film, I never would have imagined that was Daniel no. Craig. So no. I'm I'm excited about the film. I saw it last night, the trailer, <laughs> and uh, the fact that this takes place in Charlotte at the Coca Cola 600. I'm like, okay, that's pretty fun too. Yeah, that's an hour away from where we are. <laughs> yeah. um, been to the racetrack actually. Yeah. So. so anyway, that's going to be. I think it's going to be fun. I I understand where your concerns are, but I think your concerns are. Not to be worried about. Well, and here's the thing, too, which I don't think Soderbergh would do. Masterminds was based on a true story. Yes. And it seemed like they just took that story and then just tried to make up as many improvised jokes or throw as much on the screen and just see what see what works. And basically almost none of it worked. Yeah. So this isn't based on a true story, but I'm I'm hoping there's they do something behind the premise other than just tell a bunch of jokes. You know, yeah. I'm hoping it's. It, just, it did have a very strong Coen Brothers presence to me. I but can, again, I like I that. That's good, as long as it's done well and not 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 trying to ape a style for anything. Right. Cool. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Totally excited about that. Kay. What else we got? So, my next trailer, which there again, I was I had heard they were doing this movie, and I was curious, and because this is based on an Agatha Christie novel that mm-hmm. I've never read but I figured, okay, they're probably not going to ruin the ending of the movie, which is basically all that's important. I'll go ahead and watch the trailer. Murder on the Orient Express, directed yes. by Kenneth Branagh. He stars in Starring it as well. Starring Kenneth Branagh, yeah. Um, and the cast, here again, we've got kind of a murderer's row. Penelope Cruz, Judy Dench, William Defoe, Johnny Depp, Josh Gad, Daisy Ridley. I mean, you know. You said just, murderer's row. Did you, you kind of imply yes. that, right? Okay, good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a who's... Who's who? Lots of you know, lots of talent here. And watch the trailer. It was kind of interesting how they kind of set up because to me, this seems like something. It's but it came out way before this. It was like that movie that um, we reviewed. Um, dang, I can't remember. It was all on a train. Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Yeah. And it's like a locked location, mm-hmm. and it's all on a train. So Snowpiercer was kind of a sci-fi thing. This Agatha Christie wrote it. The whole setting was. You know, it's on a train. Somebody gets murdered. You know, it has to be somebody on the train. What are you going to do? But Kenneth Branagh, basically, the trailer is basically a dolly shot down the middle, like having different people. And I'm like, okay, you know, I can oh, see. Interesting. Yeah. I, I can see how, I can see how this might work. It's interesting, and I'm just excited because I haven't had like a good mystery that's not violent and bloody. And you know, it's yeah, like no. it's interesting because. It'll make no money, but it could be fun to go see. I'm with you on that. I, I love the old, you know, but you know uh, what, mystery, Agatha Christie, Alfred Hitchcock mysteries, like truly whodunit type of things. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. We're it's all about figuring those. it out yeah. and putting clues together. And luckily, I don't remember ever reading the book, so I could not tell you who yeah, did it. So, I can't I can't yeah. tell you who did it. Right. Um, and so I'm excited because the other thing, too, is I hope, which I don't see why I wouldn't because, you know, I think it would be okay. I hope I can go see it with my kids because yeah. I think that would be a cool. It would be a PG. They'll make it a PG thirteen. I would think it would be because even um, Logan Lucky is supposed to be PG thirteen, yeah. which kind no, of they're me. not going to make Murder on the Orient Express a rated R film. I um, wouldn't think so. No, I can't imagine that. Um, but Just, I, as long I'm, as they don't put that Imagine Dragon song that's at the end of the trailer for some <laughs> unknown reasons, like oh. God, you just, you ruined it. I mean, it's like, it was a really pretty effective trailer. And then it just ended on this See, recent pop song. I'm like, why? So you've seen this trailer, yeah. obviously, if you're referencing uh-huh. the song. Yeah. yeah. Don't know why they put that song. Didn't bother me as bad. But what bothered me, which you, the, my, 
other than, you know, huge cast can sometimes mean disaster because that's, they spent all their money on that. Yeah. I do not understand why Kenneth Branagh has a gray and black mustache and red hair. Because in the book, Perot, who he plays. Oh yeah. That's like, that's like supposedly his like, really? I even read a quote about it. And Kenneth Branagh said that in the books, he uses his mustache almost like a shield, almost like a disguise. Almost like it's a very intentional for him to have a very large mustache. No, so that's he wanted to fine. be very faithful to it. But the know? fact that his hair on top of his head, because it's Kenneth Branagh, it's not like it's gray and then yeah. he has a gray and black mustache. No, it's like in the freeze frame of the trailer on YouTube or whatever, you, it's like, whoa, that's so fake. Like it looks. I think, there so may be something, in, I think there may be more to it in the story. Well, I hope so. But it was really distracting. I was like, oh, this yeah. looks cool, but why is that so fake looking? Yeah. Because he spent so much money on the cast, they didn't have so, any money for makeup. I'll tell you one thing I read about the film, which I thought was really interesting, okay. uh, just from a side note. And you can kind of note it in the trailer a little bit. When they're in the train and you've got things going by in the windows, normally that's either something you do in post or you've got a set and you've got, you know, things whipping by on the side. Right. They actually had LCD screens, like high resolution LCD screens inside each of the train windows. Hmm. So they were actually running true footage, like going by that the actors were in there and actually saw this footage whizzing by. So hmm. a lot of the actors said it actually kind of made them kind of feel nauseous, you know, in between takes <laughs> because here they are, they're not moving, but yet they've got these, the stuff whipping by them in the windows. Huh. So I can imagine it's a pretty weird feeling to sit That'd in a train weird. and have 4k HD screens running by you, making it look like you're outside. Hmm. And so I looked in the trailer and I mean, you can't tell, but I could see how that would be really kind of odd to work with. So. Right. Anyway, interesting. That was cool. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, it's uh, it's good. <laughs> I hope so too. I mean, I I like if they can go with a more classic style movie and not try to make everything so modern and and, and like you said, try to contemporize everything. This is very much set in a period piece. Very mm-hmm. much seems to be keeping with the style of the book, which is cool. So. Um, well, that's your two news items. Yes. Before we move on to recommendations, we did just want to kind of make a few comments. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Demi was a, a very well-renowned director, also writer and producer, uh, made a lot of great films we'll talk about in a moment. Anyway, we have directors that pass away all the time. You know, it's, I mean, it's just like any other field. You're going to have people kind of hitting their prime and then getting older in age. Something about Jonathan Demi, though, is a little more impactful, I think, probably because, you know, A, he, you know, he, he wasn't that old to begin with, you know, I think he was only like maybe in the high sixties or 70. Um, but he made some really impactful films sure. and in several genres. It was the thing too. It wasn't just, he was known for this one kind of film. He made some really monumental to our society films in several different places. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of the silence of the lambs, 1991. That's one of my top 20 films. Okay. Uh, just, I love it. I think it's one of the best horror films as we talk about the idea of what a horror film is. I think this film may have actually kind of started people thinking about horror in a different way. Hmm. Cause you think about this seventies and eighties, it was all slasher movies and just let's come up with the most extravagant deaths we can. Sure. This movie made psychology scary. And, you know, I granted he didn't write the book. I understand that, but he definitely found a way to adapt it and make it extremely effective. He followed that one up with Pip Philadelphia, which also got him. Uh, he won Best Picture for Silence of the Lambs. I think they swept Anthony Hopkins one, jo- yeah. Jody, Hop- Jody uh, Foster one. Followed up with Philadelphia, which I also really, really love. Tom Hanks got, I think, his first Oscar for Philadelphia, if I remember correctly, there too. And uh, he didn't do a lot 
after that. You know, he did a lot of films, but none of them really made a big impact. But then you go earlier in his career and you have films like uh, Something Wild and you've got um, uh, – shoot, what is the one I'm thinking of here? Uh, Married to the Mob. And you have uh, Swing Shift even, like I think one of his very, very first films. You take some of these older ones and you look back and you say, you know what? The guy had a really impactful film career. And I have even talked about the music videos and music documentaries he's done, which I think are actually some of his more interesting work. Um, Stop Making Sense is probably his most famous, the Talking Heads documentary and concert film he did. But he even made one just recently with uh, Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee yeah. Kids that was showing on Netflix for a while. Yeah, which I actually saw. It was good. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean I'm not a big Justin Timberlake fan, but it was a well-made concert film that was right. kind of fun to watch. If I was in a band, I would want him doing the concert Exactly. So yeah. I just think, you know, Chris, I mean, what's your... Uh, Silence of the Lambs and Stop Making Sense. That's like the two well, in Philadelphia. Those three really affected me. Sure. Rachel Getting Married is the one I will bring up from later in his career that I do think is an, a great movie that was a very different type of movie for him to make. What about for you? Any, any really impactful ones? Yeah, probably Philadelphia and Rachel getting married for me are, you know, more of my favorites. I'm, I like Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. but I don't, it's not one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. but I can, you know, it's really well made music for me. Interestingly enough, I haven't, I've seen, I think bits and pieces of stop making sense, mm-hmm. but the one that I really like is storefront, <clears throat> excuse me, storefront Hitchcock. Mm. And that's just because I really like Robin Hitchcock. And the whole premise behind that is that Robin Hitchcock is giving a performance in a, I think it's in New York, would make sense if it was, but he's giving a performance, a concert, you know, in like a coffee shop or something, but he's standing in the window. Mm -hmm. So there are passerbys that walk by outside. You see cars go, you see people stop and stand there and like watch or whatever. And it just keeps rolling. Mm. (laughs) And it's such a cool idea. And Robin Hitchcock is such a storyteller and an artist in his own right. Mm -hmm. It's such a simple setup, but it's so ingenious that instead of fancy images and lights and all this stuff going on, no, it's just humanity in the background. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really cool thing to let happen. I've never seen that. I need to check Jonathan Demme doing it. That's cool. I just, you know, the guy made some really, uh, again, in different decades, different genres, some really impactful films. Yeah. You know, I'll admit I, I didn't catch up on some of his later films like Ricky and the flash. I never saw that Meryl street film. Um, you know, I never saw his remake of the, uh, Manchurian candidate, but again, you know, it, it did seem like there were some films that didn't get a lot of love later in his career, but you know, between the music videos, the concert films, the award winning films he did mm-hmm. mid career. Uh, and then I think Rachel getting married was a great, great late, 2000s film that he uh, we showed it at one of our film screenings and it was extremely well received i thought so anyway it was a it was a really really good career and uh, a shame to see him go especially he's still relatively young so uh, it always always sucks to hear that so he's got a brother ted i believe ted demi oh i did not know that yeah and i don't ted either is or was involved in the film industry as well Hmm. I, i don't know what he's doing now or uh, if he's still around or not. So I need to kind of follow up on that. But um, yeah, so rest in peace, Jonathan Demi. We'll uh, still have a lot of your films to watch and enjoy for, for years to come. So that's that's always that's always the good thing when you lose an artist is at least you still have the art around to still remember and enjoy. Yeah, so. I'm going to take this opportunity to try to catch up with Stop Making Sense. Yeah. Watch it. Cool. That's a, that's a good call. 
All right, Chris, why don't we wrap up the show with our recommendations? This is where Chris and I both come up with one film that either we caught up with recently or thought of that uh, we just think is worth revisiting or worth checking out if you've never heard of it. Um, and the goal is to try to find ones that should be available online in some capacity, meaning you should be able to go to Amazon or iTunes or somewhere and find this film, hopefully. And I'm hoping mine fits that criteria. I actually don't know if it does. <laughs> so while Chris, why don't you do your recommendation? I'm sure. going to verify that mine is actually available okay. before I recommend it to everybody. My, mine is definitely available. Okay. Uh, it helps that it just came out in 2016, but it is don't think twice. And we reviewed Mike Birbiglia, who's the writer and director of this film. We reviewed Sleepwalk With Me at some oh, yeah. point on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So this is his next directorial effort. He is a comedian by trade. This is a comedy slash drama. And the rough plot synopsis is, again, thank you, IMDb. When a member of a popular New York City improv troupe gets a huge break, the rest of the group, all best friends, start to realize that not everyone is going to make it after all. So um, the person who makes it in the group is Keegan-Michael Key, who a lot of people are familiar with from the Key and Peel thing that he did. So it's not yeah. Jordan Peel who did Get, um, get Out, but this is the other dude, yeah. uh, Keegan-Michael Key. And he's really good in this. And the other comedians that are in the little troupe, they're also really good, none of who I'm really that familiar with, but um, all very talented people. And instead of... Saturday Night Live. It's called Weekend Live, the mm-hmm. show. That, so it's okay. very kind of inside. You know baseball. where they're going, oh, right? Totally. Yeah. And um, it just is really. It's about the creative process. It's about fame. It's about what happens when somebody makes it and somebody doesn't, and how do they react to how that? that? Affects their friendship and all, I guess. Yeah. So, it's yeah. just man. It's it's so good. And some of the you know it's all about Mike Birbiglia. Um, you know, like I said, he was a comedian. I think he does do improv. So they want, you know, I'm sure this film was pretty, probably pretty well scripted. I mean, but there are moments of improv where they're supposed to be doing improv up on stage. If any of that was improv, which it probably wasn't, it comes off that way. And there are some, there are some moments when, you know, it's all about trying to save the other person when something may come to a stop and how you Mm. kind of keep the idea going. And there's some pretty genius like lines (laughs) that come out. The, just the reaction on the other characters' faces, not this like jump for joy, but just kind of this, whew, like, you know, like, yeah. or kind of, I can't. And there's some points, Berbiglia, this one guy comes up with a line, and the look on his face is kind of like, wow, I can't believe you just came up with that. Huh. It's kind of this, like, wow, that was like really a little organic. admiration to one yeah, another. And so and, yeah. it just seems so real. I liked this movie when I was watching it, and there were one or two points where there were some real life elements that were coming into it. And I thought it was going to kind of turn into kind of a Hallmark movie (laughs) or Uh, kind of too Hollywood esque, Mm. but it doesn't. And just to kind of give you a little bit of understanding what I'm talking about, I won't ruin one of them, but Mm -hmm. the other one I'll kind of mention, but it's a major storyline. So it's not like I'm ruining anything too much, but one of the comedians has a father who is sick Mm -hmm. and you think they're only going to use that to kind of bring some drama, which it is a little bit of drama. You know, it's a drama slash comedy, but you think they're only using that to weight down the storyline sure. to add some sincerity and some real life nature to it. And it does do that. Mm-hmm. But some of the things and how they treat it at some points, you're like, Oh wow. No, this is, this is using it for a lot more than just that. It's yeah, it's not too cheesy. And I was afraid it was going to get to like Hallmark mm-hmm. Hall of Fame movie. So 
I liked it. I can't recommend it enough. I don't think twice. It's available on Netflix, Amazon Prime. You know, it's it's out there. Easy yeah, to no, find. I, it's been on my watch list for a while. I haven't had a chance to see it. So I like Sleepwalk with Me okay. I didn't think it was great. But I've heard some really good things about this film, and now your recommendation. I, yeah, is I like sleep. Held. Yeah, this I think Sleepwalk with Me was good. You know, I think yeah. you may have liked it a little less than me, but this is I think this is even better. I think he's building as a director and as a writer cool. for movies anyway. Well, I think probably having an ensemble of really fun, interesting characters probably helps. helps because it. I like Mike Berbiglia as a comedian. I like his stand-up work. It's just Sleepwalk with Me was a little little pedestrian, I thought, for me, or a little expected in that style. Um, so mine, okay, I apologize. It's not available online yet. Oh, it no. will be soon, I promise. I Maybe <laughs> even the time you listen to this episode, go online, it may be online. But I don't have another backup, so I'm going to go with this one. My job now, Chris, is when this film does come out available for rent online, I have to notify our podcast listeners through our next ep- whenever that episode is okay. to let them know. But, so I'm sorry. You can't go watch this right now if oh, you're downloading Alan it. Oh, but has seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. Okay. Um, what is it? And I mainly bring it up because it's extremely connected to Raw that we talked about earlier. This is the Transfiguration. Ah, yes. So let me give you the explanation here. Uh, when troubled teen Milo, who has a fascination with vampire lore, meets the equally alienated Sophie, the two form a bond that begins to blur Milo's fantasy into reality. So Milo is played by a young man, Eric Ruffin. Really good. Okay. This kid's going places, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> and you find out he lives in a very uh, low-income uh, housing uh, situation in a big city. And uh, l- no parents, because I think his mother died, and you find out later on what happened there. But he lives with his older brother, and the two of them kind of, you know, obviously, it's a tough environment to grow up in. Sure. But he is fascinated with vampires, like Every book in his bookshelf is about vampires. He's got every vampire movie on VHS tape that he watches. He keeps a notebook about where he feels like he is evolving into vampire status. It's a really, A, the film is interesting to watch a kid who is just so focused and obsessed with a certain thing that he's actually trying to make himself be that thing. Hmm. Interesting. And then he meets Sophie, played by by, uh, Chloe Levin, who moves into the building, has also a very equally troubling home environment. The two bond, but as the, the synopsis said, it does start to kind of blur into what's what's really happening to Milo. Is Milo really transfig- transforming like he thinks he is, or is it all in his head? What's going to happen between the two of them? It's, it's a really good movie. Hmm. It's very small, low-budget film. Okay. Uh, the director is Michael O'Shea. Uh, I saw this film at River Run Film Festival, uh, it will be distributed on iTunes and, and other places very, very soon. Uh, again, I'll notify everybody when it is. The reason I say it has a lot to do with Raw is, A, it is a coming of age. You are looking at a young boy that's going through kind of an obsessive period in his life where he's just fascinated by something. You wonder if that something is just to get him out of the world that he really is in. He wants to be something grander and bigger. Um, and it's also kind of gross. I mean, there's a lot of scenes of... Vampire stuff. And it's, uh, you know, even the very first thing in the movie is not one that the squeamish should sit in a big movie theater with big surround sound in. Uh, it's, it's a tough watch at times, but I think it's really good. I love the way the film ends. It ends in a, a very, it's a note you would not have expected, but when hmm. you think back to how the story evolved, yep, it needed to be that way. Um, 
I just thought it was a really good movie. And uh, I don't know anything about uh, Michael O'Shea's other work. Uh, I had the pleasure of talking to him just for a moment or two at the festival. You know, he's inspired by all the classic good vampire films. Let the Right One In hmm. was a very heavy influence on this That's film. That's what that comes to mind is Let the Right One In. And there's definitely some visuals. Even the young girl playing Sophie looks a lot like the girl from Let the Right One In. So there's definitely some some impact and influences there. But um, I think it's a really good film. I really do. And I really think Eric Ruffin, the young boy, is just, man, he's so good. Hmm. So I'm looking forward to people being able to check out this film. Not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's definitely got some horror elements in it, although it's not, like you said, it's not one of these traditional horrors. It's like this new style of horror where there's a lot more going on around the, around the story than just blood, guts, and killing. So, <laughs> okay. anyway, that's uh, The Transfiguration. Sorry you can't watch it right now, maybe, unless you're listening to this podcast much later on after we recorded it. But uh, keep checking, and I'll notify in an upcoming episode when it is available online. So I think that's it, Chris. I think we're done for the for this episode. Okay. Uh, again, Alien Covenant in theaters. Uh, Raw online. We talked about trailers for the new uh, uh, um, Soderbergh film. We talked about a trailer for uh, the Murder on the Orient Express. We talked about Jonathan Demme and his passing and the films he's leaving behind. Then we did our recommendations. You had uh, Don't Think Twice, and mm-hmm. I had The Transfiguration. So that's our show. If you have any questions, thoughts, feedback for us at all, Chris, how can people reach out to us after they listen to this episode? Probably the easiest way is to drop us an email at info at the mesh TV and uh, put foot candle films in the subject line. Tell us what you like, didn't like a film you want us to check out. And uh, we'll, we'll try to see what we can do. Or maybe you'll find that transfiguration is online and you can tell us where um, before we find out about it. But uh, that's the best way to get in touch with us. Alan and I also have accounts on Letterboxd where we try more or less try to keep up with what films we're watching. And sometimes we write short reviews on there. Um, as Alan mentioned earlier in the show, the mesh.tv is where a lot of our podcasts back episodes are. You can also, of course, if you're watching it on the website, and you want to find an easier way, like you mentioned, iTunes. Uh, we also have them on iTunes. And if you're on iTunes listening, you might as well write a quick review or give us a star rating because, hey, it helps us reach more listeners, which always is always good. nice. That's correct. That's it for Foot Candle Films then. So again, uh, keep following us on the mesh.tv. And uh, also we do have the Foot Candle Film Festival coming up in yes. September of 2017. It'll be September 22nd through the 24th. Uh, very excited. We're getting closer and closer to having our announcement of the films that will be chosen for that festival. Uh, probably by the time you're hearing this, uh, submissions are probably closed out. June, our, our, either 18th or 19th. It's the yeah. Monday, mid-June. But yeah, Mid-June, so probably not much time if you if you listen to this episode. But if you do have a film or know of a filmmaker and it's a last-ditch effort to submit it, please do. But uh, we've had quite a number of submissions. We feel really good about the quality of films we've got so far. should be a really great weekend. I'm terribly excited for it. And obviously, as we get closer to that September time frame, we'll be publishing a lot more information about the festival, its schedule, and, of course, how to get tickets. So for Foot Candle Films, this is Alan. This is Chris. Thanks for listening. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh. 
an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.